Today's conversation is brought to you by Calvin Theological Seminary. Reformed and globally recognized, the seminary embraces a holistic form of education that attends to the character, spiritual, and vocational formation of students. Since 1876, Calvin Seminary has faithfully prepared leaders who nurture disciples and serve the church. Find the right program for you, including their signature Master of Divinity, at calvinseminary.edu. If we want to become like Jesus, we might want to think about actually running our lives like Jesus did. And he 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 was very, very, uh, he was intentional. He would get up early and go to pray. He would take times away. He would go and touch people and not withdraw from them all the time. Like he, Jesus was amazingly intentional. And um, that's the basic theory is if you want to become like someone, maybe you should actually organize your life somewhat like he did. Today's conversation is the podcast of the National Association of Evangelicals. I'm your host, Walter Kim, NAE president. In these conversations, we seek to help evangelicals foster thriving communities and navigate complexity with biblical clarity. As evangelicals, we do, 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 and do some more, but we also need to be people truly transformed by God. Today, we're joined by Ted Harrow, president of Renovare, to focus on this idea of living a deeper and more transformative life with God. It's great to be here with you today, Ted. Uh, thank you for joining us. So glad to be with you. Thanks for inviting me, Walter. So, Ted, I, I want to begin by asking about your background and how you ended up at Renovare. Well, you wouldn't draw it up on the whiteboard this way, that's for sure. Um, I'm a very unlikely person to be in the role uh, leading Renovare. I, I, I grew up actually in an NAE-affiliated church in upstate New York, um, so a small non-denominational church, went to Wheaton College, thought I would might go into ministry, spent a couple of years as an intern at Willow Creek Church, so a very, very large church in Chicago, and then uh, ended up going to the marketplace for 30 years and spent my whole time there doing consulting work with senior leadership teams, very much in the secular marketplace, loved it, ended up having a, a kind of cool underground ministry uh, through that work. Um, and then uh, through a, a set of circumstances, I actually ended up going through one of Renovari's program, this two-year intensive program called the Renovari Institute. And uh, I went through it kind of for um, credentialing reasons. And I was really interested. I've been a long-time reader of some of the people who are involved in this movement and wanted to go deeper with it. What I didn't plan on was that it made a major change in my life. And so... Um, when when the my predecessor ended up announcing his retirement and the position was opened, uh, it's a long story, but the long story short is my, I had friends who told me I should apply for it. And I laughed and said, I'm not the guy and I'm very happy where I am. And over about six months, I went from praying for indifference about uh, the opportunity, like just being open to it, to becoming open to it, applying for it and eventually having the door open. And I said, yes. So I, I'm a very unusual person in this role. Um, I'm not a PhD theologian. I'm nothing special. I'm a, I'm a, I'm just somebody like everybody else who, um, now has a chance to lead a ministry that really made a huge difference in my life 
and I think has a particular role to play uh, in our current in our current day. So describe a little bit more of what Renovare actually is, what what its mission is, um, its impact that it desires to have in people's lives. It's clearly it's impacted your life. Yeah. And I would have to say personally, it's impacted me as well as many within the NAE uh, network, but not everyone knows about it. So what is Renovare? We're a very, very well-kept secret, partly because we have a very strange name. Uh, so Renovare, the, the word actually is, is the Latin word for renewal. So we are a renewal movement. And uh, the easiest way to describe what we do is we help spiritually ravenous people to get have inside-out transformation to become more like Jesus, both people and communities. But we're really in the in the change business, in the inside-out transformation business. And um, it's a it's a very kind of dispersed, scattered network of people who all have this common hunger. We're very different from each other in many ways. We have many different denominations represented, uh, you know, inside the Christian faith tradition. We have everything from Catholics to uh, Baptists and everything in between. Um, but what holds us together is this absolute hunger to go deeper with God and deeper with each other. So we can become more and more like Jesus. And what attracted what, what really happened for me was I had been around church and around, you know, the church and some very prominent churches most of my life. And I was fascinated by the question, um, how do people change and why do so few of us change? And so if, if, you, if you're interested in that question, that's the kind of thing that we dig deeply into and we look for answers at both from from ancient history up to the um, up to the current day about how people can actually become more and more like Jesus and make a difference in their world because of that. So that's that's what we are we're a scattered network of very hungry people who want to go deep with each other and deep with God so we can become more and more like Jesus. That's what we do. That's really compelling and certainly touches upon uh, I think the deepest aspirations that many of us have yeah. uh, to go deeper with God. Um, translate that from this beautiful, compelling, inspirational desire to what, what actually happens day what to day. What do we day. do? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, how, how do you do that? Yeah. So we, I, I kind of think of it as we have three different elements to how we interact with, with the world. We have, what we are first known for is content because Renovari began uh, on the back of the publication of Celebration of Discipline, which was Richard Foster's first uh, and, and best-selling book. It was a kind of surprise bestseller. And um, that's kind of Renovari, how Renovari was, was birthed. And from the community that surrounded Richard came other authors like Dallas Willard. Most of his popular works uh, were somehow shaped by his interaction with the Renovari group. Um, and, and others, James Bryan Smith, whose, uh, works have been really uh, helpful in these last, uh, probably 10, 15 years. Uh, those folks are all people who have been, uh, affected by Renovari. So content has been really important. But as I just referred to, I would say content is very important. But what's distinctive about Renovari is community being so central. So Renovari has always been at its core, a, a dispersed community a group of people who are going to be doing life together and actually working out together um, how they can become more and more like Jesus. And we're not a church. Uh, we actually are for the local church. 
but there's this it's this meta community where people who are all over the country and in different kinds of churches become a learning community that then can go back and be positive influences in their churches. So it's content, it's community, and it's experiences. So that Renovari Institute, the two-year program I went through, um, I mean, there were many wonderful parts of that, but four times of those two years, we had one week long residencies where we were together as a cohort of 45 people from around the world. And the experiential work we did there was at least as impactful uh, in my life. And I know from talking to others in everybody else's lives too, as any of the books we read or the talks we heard. So um, it's really those three things. We, we, we keep um, both creating new content and bringing forward less heard content from the past. So if you're around Renovar, you're going to read, uh, like I've just finished a book by a guy named Thomas Kelly, who I had never heard of before I went to the Renegar Institute. He's a Quaker author from the uh, 1930s, early 1940s. And um, I got to tell you, I just finished a book of his and it, it it is one of the best books I've read in a long time. I would never have learned about that except for being part of a group like Renovari because we purposely bring forward less known authors from the past as well as creating our new, uh, our new content as well. So that's kind of how we do things and, and how we show up in the world. Hmm. So you're not only drawing people from various ecclesial traditions, Catholics, Baptists, um, but you're actually drawing them and reintroducing them to yes. a breadth of traditions. Um, kind of gleaning uh, from uh, from what God has been doing over the centuries and meeting people. And that's, that's fascinating. Um, are, are people ever really surprised when they discover something either within their own tradition or about another tradition? And, oh, and how does that manifest itself? I think, I think that's, as we're talking about this, Walter, it seems to me that one of the common denominators for someone who's engaged with us is a curiosity, an insatiable curiosity and an openness to learn. And so there's constant surprises. Um, I, I, I just wrote an email to one of our leaders this morning saying, reading uh, Thomas Keller's The Eternal Promise has explained a lot to me about Renovari, about Richard Foster, who founded the movement, uh, about myself. I mean, there are things I'm going, oh, wow, I just never had thought about that or heard about that because I'm not a Quaker. But but uh, but I'm seeing things from that tradition that have been very helpful. So there's constant surprises. And I would say the reactions, honestly, range, you know, they, they go across the range. They go from um, delight, like, oh, I finally found someone who explains, you know, how I feel and what I see about our world. Thomas Kelly, for instance, I'm on a bill Thomas Kelly kick today. Uh, you know, he talks about how does the church and has a person deal with a world in chaos because he's writing in the 19 late 1930s as world war ii was erupting and i'm just thinking this could be written for today it's just so appropriate it helped me a lot so that's delight but also sometimes a little bit of like surprise or or uh, resistance when i went through the renovary institute i was i knew we would be going through some of the great christian traditions and there were several in there when I saw them on the list of things we were going to go through where I went, uh oh, I have a personal history with this, with this tradition and it's mm -hmm. not been easy. And now I'm going to have to deal with it. 
So there's sometimes where you get into something and you go, oh, you know, and it might Kindle because I use a Kindle a lot because I travel so much. I highlight things in yellow for things I agree with and in red for things that I'm like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you know, you, you get some of that. If you expose yourself to different parts of the Christian tradition, there will be times where you're going to say, I don't know about that. And we actually say, stick with that, sit with mm-hmm. that. Um, ask yourself, what are you resisting? Why are you resisting it? What could God be wanting to have a conversation with you about? So I, we see all those reactions and everything in between. Hmm. You know, I think of the impact that uh, celebration of disciplines had in my own life. I, I had a fairly radical uh, conversion in my high school years, this powerful experience of God's spirit flooding over my life and flipping on all the switches. Um, and then uh, a few years later, you know, as something of the initial flush of that transformation wears off and you're, in my case, groping for what, what, you know, what, what is going to be the long term. You know, not every day is going to be this incredible revival moment where you just wake up and God's spirit shows up in these powerful ways. Like, are, are there tools that, that can build this spiritual life? And I found the the tools given to me particularly you know issue of solitude being a fairly extroverted person myself in college surrounded with people all the time um the call to the disciplines of solitude was um you know frankly a bit befuddling but also um really intriguing for wow what what would this look like for someone who's an extrovert who's around people all the time just because of my living situation uh, and yet being provoked by God's spirit for a, a sustainable Christian life, maybe should start including some practices that um, cut against the grain of my personality, even life situation and the nature of my own conversion, which again, was in this kind of revival with hundreds of other high school students around me um and so you know this this work is really fascinating that you're doing uh both the delight and the resistance um but i wanted to explore a particular angle of um maybe resistance yeah and that is what is the tension between disciplines that you are to celebrate and pursue and an openness to God's spirit coming oh. in and guiding. And how how do those two things converge? Because you can't manage God's spirit showing up right. in any particular way, right. unless you found some secret that we all could use. <laughs> and, and, and this mix of openness to the spirit, spiritual practices that require discipline, how not to be legalistic. Yeah. How yet at the same time to have formative practices. I'm asking a really big set of questions that you can pull on any string I'm, you want to. Yeah, I'm so glad you're asking because I think it's one of the most common. Well, it's, it's the misconception that I would have had, you know, um, years ago myself. And I think it's really important to, uh, you know, Dallas Willard used to talk about, if, if most people who are listening to this probably know who Dallas Willard is, but Dallas Willard was a very um, gifted philosopher 
who who was a deeply Christian person and wrote on these issues. And and we talk a lot at Renovari and other places about how um, you have to make sure you you know what disciplines are and what they aren't. So uh, we, what we're all what we're all aiming our lives towards is a vision of a life full of God. In an inner life that is so close to Jesus's inner life that our outer life can also be like Jesus's life. This is the, you know, sometimes people will think about what we do spiritual formation as only being inner. It's only about what goes on inside you. And that's just a deep misconception. Uh, the truth is we do worry about the inside life because it has such an effect on the outside life. But that's all about formation, about how you're being shaped and how you're shaping the world around you. Back to uh, disciplines, disciplines are just a means to pursue with God in partnership with God, that vision of becoming more and more like Jesus on the inside and through the inside through the rest of our lives as well. And so see them as tools. That's what's what they are. They're means of grace. They are not uh, anything that gives you grace. That you know, They don't earn you a thing. But they are a way that God works with us. So I think about disciplines as a way that I um, I use my body often because disciplines often have a physical element to them or my mind to just nudge the door open so that the spirit can flood in and do what the spirit wants to do. It, it's a very small way I can partner with the, the big work that God needs to do in my life. And uh and I, I think about disciplines as, you, you, in fact, we often talk about having a spiritual friendship or a spiritual director, somebody who's going to work with us and companion with us to help us realize in our lives right now, here's what God is wanting to do in our lives. And how can we use disciplines to do our tiny little part of the partnership so that he can flood in and do what he's going to really do with us? So it's not controlling the spirit, but it is welcoming the spirit with the patterns and habits that make it uh, uh, more possible for us to cooperate with the spirit. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, disciplines can become horrible, horrible legalism. If we think that we have to do them really, really well and do them, you know, we have to get an A on the disciplines and we have to do all the disciplines, all the things at all the levels, you know, uh, that's, you're going to become more and more religious until you become a miserable person to live with and you'll hate yourself if you do it that way. That's not what the disciplines are. The disciplines are simply a way, and we we bring the classic disciplines forward because we see them as a gift of God's people. Like we weren't dropped into time with no history. We have a history. And uh, we see the classic disciplines as ways that we we learn from our forebears and uh, we learn from them how we can engage with the spirit in a way that the spirit could actually change our lives from the inside out. So I don't know if I answered even a 10th of the questions you just asked, but that uh, I, there is a huge risk to disciplines becoming legalism when they're seen as the end and not the means. And we, we should usually customize our suite of disciplines based on what we sense often with the help of others, God wanting to do to shape us to be more and more like Jesus. And those disciplines then become doorways through which the spirit can do even more work. Now, of course, if the spirit wants to knock off us, knock us off our horse, the spirit will do that. But um, the normal way that this happens in the, if you look at the course of God's people is that 
when people cooperate with God, he can do even more than when uh, they resist him. Hmm. Give us a little bit uh, of a particular imagination now. What are some of the classic disciplines that you're describing? Well, you you mentioned one of them, of course, which and and in our culture today, you, you have and the you know the, the opening line of Richard's book was superficiality is the curse of our age. We don't need more smart, smarter people, more talented people. Although intelligence and talent are good, by the way, we need deeper people. And so often when culture is going one way, we should realize that it is shaping us. We are being shaped every day. Today, uh, at the end of the day, we'll be different than we were this morning because we had shaping influences in our lives. And when the world is shaping us to go a particular direction, kind of overbalanced, we probably ought to think about counterbalancing with some intentional activities. So solitude, for especially for someone who gravitates so much to being with people, is a balancing practice to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go do, go be by myself with God, not to be by myself by myself. I'm going to go be with by myself with God because often what happens is I use other relationships to anesthetize myself from the deepening that God wants to do. And if I withdraw from that, I will actually start to hear God instead of just hearing the multitude of voices. So, you know, those are, uh, Dallas Willard would talk about disciplines of abstention or engagement, solitude, fasting, silence. These are all classic, uh, with abstention type things that we would do when we have too much of something. I do silence when I'm in a world that's noisy and when I'm, t- when I'm a person who is paid to talk like I do. You know, silence is a very important thing for me to engage in a regular basis because People ask me to come on podcasts and they listen to me talk. I better go be silent and go be alone for a while every now and then to make sure that doesn't ruin me. Hmm. Um, Of course, there's the other side, which is engagement, where some of us are naturally more withdrawing types. And we need to actually be encouraged to engage. So serving is a wonderful spiritual practice where we, especially where we could, if we live in affluent communities, to go put ourselves in close proximity to people in need. So we don't just read about them in pamphlets and don't just write checks to them, but we actually go interact with them and they became, they become real people to us. And we start realizing, Oh, these are beloved image bearers. And I need to, I need to have a heart of compassion, not just actions of compassion, but a heart of compassion. And I won't get that if I'm all by myself all the time or if I'm cloistered in my affluent neighborhood all the time. So, so we, we do these things as we look at our lives and say, where am I out of shape uh, or bent out of shape because of the shaping I've had in my, in my life and in my culture? How do I get uh, put back into God's full shape and cooperate with the practices that way? So that's kind of one way to think about it. Not the only way, mm-hmm. but one way. That's helpful. It's, it is following the way of Christ, who himself withdrew oh. from the crowds and had solitude, who served the poor, you know, all of that. That's really compelling. Well, the, the, I mean, this is the very simple way to say this. If we want to become like Jesus, we might want to think about actually running our lives like Jesus did. And he, he, he was very, very, uh, he was intentional. He would get up early and go to pray. He would take times away. He would go and touch people 
and not withdraw from them all the time. Like he, Jesus was amazingly intentional. And um, that's the basic theory is if you want to become like someone, maybe you should actually organize your life somewhat like he did. Of course, we don't wear sandals and walk around from place to place. We drive cars and we wear different clothes. That's not the point. It's organizing the meta structure of our lives to be more like he thought about his life. Yeah. And you bring up this difference then between our life situation now and in the ancient world. Yes. I mean, it feels like it's grasping sand in our modern technological, busy, constantly plugged in world. It, but it strikes me that it's all the more important than that we do this. Uh, well, because we, we've all it, seen we've all seen the outcomes of yeah. of going with the flow on being always plugged in, always busy, and and you we all know. I don't have to recite the outcomes. Look at what's going on in our world, and the 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 personal outcomes, the way people's lives are shaping up, the skyrocketing mental health issues we have, all these things. Um, you know, we we look at all the data around social media. I'm I'm not saying that no one should do any social media. I'm just saying. Um, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to say that just because something exists, we should go all in on it. I think we should say, okay, well, that's a thing. That's a tool. Um, what's the unintended and sometimes intended consequence of going all in on that? And might we want to do some balancing things that will help us to, uh, to protect us against the harmful effects of the culture we live in. And every culture in history has had harmful things going on. This is, we're not the first place in the world to have this happen. We ours just feel really current right now because they are current to us. Um, much of what you've described in terms of disciplines, the inner working, uh, it could in our American context be applied very individualistically. Yes. Um, and yet you've mentioned uh, this coming in the context at Renovare in community, the importance of community. Super important. Um, so make a case for it. Why, why community when the disciplines, many of them are individually applicable, individually driven? What, what's going on in the nature of community that is so essential for, uh, this formation you're seeking? How philosophical do you want to get right now, Walter? <laughs> give, give us the one minute philosophy and because yeah, and, and, okay. and i was a philosophy major in college yeah. so you know yeah. dr holmes you'd be very excited about this or maybe not sorry dr holmes um so uh you know at the very philosophical level we would say that um we are created by a trinitarian god so we are by definition hmm. um in the image of God, which means we are in the image of a, of a being that is eternally is and has been in community. So from a, from a purely kind of theological philosophical perspective, we would say, of course, we must be a community because we're image bearers. And part of the being image bearers is that we are constantly designed to be in community. I don't mean constantly. We shouldn't be in solitude. I'm saying over the course of our lives, we're made for community. Okay. Um, now that's, that's a nice philosophical answer. Let me give you the other answer, which is that on our own, we're probably going to get it really, really wrong because we're, we're, we're bent people who have blind spots all over the place. And so, um, when we're doing study is study is a, is a practice we talk about. 
and that, 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 that I mean Bible study, you know, other study accounts too, but Bible study. Could we do Bible study by ourselves? Yes. Do you know anybody in your life who has done Bible study by themselves and come to a conclusion that you scratched your head at and said, really? How'd you get there? I do. In fact, probably that person includes me. So, um, you know, anytime where you're, uh, listening for the voice of God through, um, through any number of circumstances, scripture, the spirit, doing so in community is a prudent hedge against wackiness. So, you know, I'd say philosophically, we're created for community and pastorally, uh, community is a wise way to, to be, uh, to be protected against big mistakes. And then, of course, we also are going to have a much, uh, higher likelihood of being positive influences for good together than we are by ourselves. Um, we're in partnership with each other and God, and that gives us much more strength in being forces for good in the world. That, that's mm. that's the best. I hadn't thought about that question before, Walter, so thanks for it. That's my best shot at it, though. No, that's that's really good. My takeaway is a wise way to avoid wackiness. I, I like that. <laughs> that is so good. I mean, there's a lot of wackiness out there in, in every <laughs> single one of us. So, hey. And 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 the wackiness that's happening in our lives, in our societies, in this modern world. Um, speak to that a little bit. The formation that happens. Um, how does that spill out and not only transform people, but transform people who have a transformative way of interacting in a particular cultural moment of deep divisions and fractures? Like, yeah. What what goal do you have um, in order to engage the broader society with yeah. the kind of internal and deeply formative work that you're doing? Well, it really does start with both people and small communities, <clears throat> and I want to use language that I would have used in the marketplace when I was when I was a consultant in the marketplace. Um, some of it, some of it won't quite translate, but, um, I want you to imagine a person or a small group of people who are deeply grounded. Um, they are, they are not easily, uh, triggered. They're not easily bumped off their, you know, into like being super agitated and who are deeply good. They're the person, as David Brooks would say, who are deep in the eulogy virtues not the resume virtues, the things that we talk about when someone dies that was great about them. Think about an individual or a person or a group that is deeply good and that actually understands truth, that, that they have a, a grasp of truth and they're full of a power that's a different kind of power that actually turns into compassion, especially for the downtrodden and the disenfranchised. And it and everything about them is permeated by all those character traits. That's the kind of person and the kind of uh, communities that we're endeavoring to create. And the theory of, of the case is that um, while uh, that if you want to do change in our world, you do it best by having transformed people and transformed individuals who shine out like lights. You know, Matt, um, Paul talks in Philippians about uh, shining like lights in a dark generation. 
these people are very different. Like they're miraculously different in a world that is easily triggered, terrible on the inside and kind of, you know, almost resigned to being not that good. Doesn't have any idea if there is a truth, has no special power, is self-indulgent and inconsistent. That's kind of the way that the world shapes us if we do nothing. When we find somebody who's the opposite, well, my goodness, they're going to stand out in a positive way. And it won't be probably because they're marching in the streets. It's going to be because when people are marching in the streets, they're going to be the ones who aren't knocked off center. They're going to be, they're going to be um, an unanxious presence who can actually deal with the turmoil of life in a, in a steady way, in a steady way in their culture. So, you know, we, we are not, um, Renovari. I, we, I, I have great admiration for people and organizations who can, who would look at how are we going to change systemic structures systemically? It's, it's just not our particular strength. We're about working with, um, the people who would be in, engaged in that and potentially people who are in leadership roles in those places to help them become the kinds of people who can actually be for positive change, um, regardless of whether they're in positions of authority or not. So that's, we're trying to create a different kind of person. We're not doing that. We're, we're, uh, casting the vision of God doing that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we're cheering on those people as they do it. Ted, as we draw this to a close, I, I wanted to maybe circle back to where we began and to say, um, you know, what, what is a personal lesson or insight, maybe from Thomas Kelly or something <laughs> else that you've been reading recently? What is a personal lesson or insight that you would wish to leave us with? Well, uh, I, I, I have been deep into this tiny little book called the eternal promise by Thomas Kelly. And, um, I would say from there, the thing I'm really encouraged by is somebody else who lived in a very tumultuous time and said, um, I've seen a miracle and the miracle is the lives changed. The people whose lives are actually shaped in a way that they can live in very difficult circumstances in a way that people that actually makes no sense. They're able to actually live in very difficult circumstances um, with peace and joy and equanimity and uh, consistent goodness. Um, of course, not perfectly, but that's, that's kind of the, the overall direction of their lives. And, and uh, Kelly was really arguing for um, the, the possibility and the vision of the church doing that, that the church uh, is not dying because they're trying to give people too much depth. It's because people, when the churches start to die, it's because people say, I came looking for more depth and you didn't serve it up for me. And I'm, I was really challenged by that because I think it's easy to try to kind of lower the bar and lower the bar and lower the bar to get people to come and engage with our, with our church communities. And what I was challenged by from Kelly was actually um, the thing to do is to go deeper and to offer the, the hungry, the, the ones who you want there are the ones who are hungry and who want to go deep. And then they will become the kinds of people who will automatically, they'll be the best evangelism you could ever do. 
because their lives will shine among their their friends and, and their neighbors. So I would say that's uh, Kelly. And then personally, and uh, I'd say in my leadership role, this is the lesson I'm working right. I'm working right now with God is um, the working through a joyful partnership with Him. You know, leadership means carrying burdens, and I'm I'm learning with God right now. What share of the burden is mine and what share of the burden is his? I tend to want to carry more than my uh, than what I should. And I forget that I get the little like Thomas the Tank Engine backpack and God gets this huge backpack. I do have a role to play, but it's it, uh, it rounds to zero and it's trying to figure out in my in my life as a leader, how do I work and live in that joyful partnership? So that'd be one kind of churchy one and one. Uh, person. Thank you. Our guest on today's conversation has been Ted Harrow. I'm Walter Kim, and on behalf of us all, thank you, Ted. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we help evangelicals foster thriving communities and navigate complexity with biblical clarity. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please sign up for our email list and visit our resource hub at nae.org.